All right, I've been saving the best for last. I told you I'd be back. What was supposed to be a few weeks away turned into a few months, uh, six months to be exact. But I, I, I went through a real battle, folks. But, uh, you know, how do I stand up here and thank 160-plus people? And I uh, I made some notes to help me do that. But I, uh, I had my surgery at Emory uh, November 15th. It was a radical cystectomy. They removed my bladder, my prostate, and reconstructed my urinary tract. I'm now fitted with the urostomy. Uh, I spent 17 days in the hospital. I had two setbacks that kept me there that long. They transferred me from uh, Emory after 17 days to Manor Care in Marietta, and I was there six weeks. Finally got home after almost eight weeks away from home. So in the meantime, uh, I came home to a ton of cards and uh, from you folks, greeting cards, emails, phone calls. I think I figured somewhere in the vicinity of 300 <coughs> expressions of love and, and uh, support, and I, you'll never know how much I appreciated I appreciate that. Uh, we started, we, the surgeon told Mary Kay when I got finished uh, that there's some residual microscopic carcinoma cells in the uh, prostate area. So I had to undergo uh, radiation treatments at the Winship Cancer Institute back down at Emory. So I did that uh, every day, five days a week for seven weeks. I did 34 treatments. But uh, they haven't mentioned anything beyond that. I go back for frequent uh, updates with my surgeon and my radiologist oncologist, but they uh, still no mention of chemotherapy. Right now we think that the 34 radiation treatments have probably taken care of things. I lost about 35 pounds in the process, picked up about 10 of it back, uh, have a good appetite, getting back to uh, doing some walking, some exercises, uh, but I've been gone from this class for six months, and I can tell you I, I really do appreciate what you guys did for me and for Mary Kay. Uh, I've got to single out a few folks. I'm thanking all of you for the cards and the expressions of simp or love and support, but uh, s there are several folks that I need to single out, and uh, Nancy Wright is one of them. We got home from uh, Manor Care, and Nancy... Uh, Nancy and her uh, crew, Carol Anthony and Peggy Rodway, uh, made sure we had hot food. We had a hot meal at our home every night for like three weeks, uh, thanks to Nancy and her uh, her committee. In addition to that, we had a number of you that came to our home with uh, lunches that we broke bread together, and that was that was special for me too. So I appreciate that so much, Nancy. The all of the food. Uh, that you brought. Uh, then we got into the thing with uh, how in the world am I going to get down to uh, Emory? Uh, Mary Kay, uh, Mary Kay works full time. I didn't have the physical stamina to drive myself down to Emory every day for five days a week times seven. That was over two thousand miles uh, to make that trip every day. So uh, one day when we uh, we were having lunch and and Stan, my good friend Stan Thomason over there. And Virginia were having lunch with me, and I was telling Stan about it. He said, 
wait a minute. He said, that's not going to be a problem. He said, we can put that together. He said, we've got a lot of people in that class that would love to do that, to get take you down there every day and bring you back. Make a long story short, uh, Stan put that together, organized it, made sure I had a driver in my driveway every morning, no later than 8.30 for that trip down, that 35-mile trip down to Emory. And we did that every day for five days a week times seven weeks, so uh, over 2,000 miles. And uh, the number of the, the people that did that, Roger Davis, uh, Roger made five trips for me. Ron Peterson made four. Uh, the following uh, drivers made three trips, Dan Thomason, Charlie Mason, Bob Morrissey, Jack Stadler, and Larry Douglas. They all made three trips uh, down. Uh, the f- following people made two trips, uh, Dave Roberts, John Phelps, Jerry Prophet, Al Temples, and Dal Zirk. And the following made one trip, Shaw Skillings, Nancy Wright. Nancy took me down one, one morning. Grady Phillips, Vince Grossi, and Johnny Goss. So uh, I don't know what else to say, folks, except that I'm really thrilled to be back, and I'm on the road to recovery. And I'm uh, uh, my good friend Charlie Mason. Uh, Want to thank Charlie for for picking up the uh, the reins with the treasurer's job and doing a great job in that while I was gone. So he and I are going to get together in the next couple of weeks, transfer the books back to me. And uh, I'll be back as your treasurer. And uh, Charlie, thanks so much for what you did. But anyway, folks, uh, thank you all for your your love and prayer and prayers, support. And uh, you'll see a lot more of me. Would you ever doubt he counts your money carefully? <laughs> Good morning, people. <laughs> and I see some smiles out there, not a bunch. <laughs> I was thinking when, when he was talking, you know, um, we never know when our life is going to end. We never know when our health is going to give. We need to make sure that we're thankful for today and live every day to its fullest. And I, I thought of a little something. I won't take long, I promise. <laughs> I thought of something. Uh, Saturday night, uh, Friday night, uh, Patricia Pirelli, you know, who does the kids' own thing, her family was coming for her birthday party yesterday, and they needed some place to have a little fun Friday night, so they thought of my house. I can't imagine why. And um, anyway, they came over, and um, I thought, it's so funny how you do a little thing. All I do is open my home. They brought the food and everything. Turns out her family is very musical. So her one sister, I have a piano. Her sister said, what's your favorite song? So I told her, honey, can she play the piano? All of, she has, uh, this four girls in the family, they all sing. I am telling you, I felt like I was in heaven. And I thought, you know, I did this little thing by opening my front door, and boy, what I got back from from that evening. It was wonderful. You just never know when God's going to bless you with something. So anyway, enough talk for today. Our speaker is Sally Dallin, and Sally was, and I'm looking for her. Why am I missing her? Oh. <laughs> um and Sally used to be the Minister of Adult Education here, and her husband uh, had a job transfer to Texas. I think they were gone about five years. And then they came back here to RUMC, and she's very happy to be back here. And the way I heard about Sally was because she uh, teaches some Bible studies, and I heard how great she is, what a great teacher she is. So here is Sally. Sally. 
It is good to be with you and see all the familiar faces. Different different locations for some of you than I recall uh, from six years ago when I when I left. But uh, it is it is good to be back in Roswell. Uh, lots of life went on in the five years that we lived in Houston. A uh, lot of changes in our lives and two, two big changes is that our daughter was married three weeks before we moved to Texas and while we were away she had two children, which is partly why I said it's time to go home. Uh, <laughs> but I had those two kids at my house for a spend the night party last night so I'm kind of like, Bruh. you know, they're, they're not quite four and not quite two and, 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 and grandma's not used to that. But, uh, I, I am excited to be here with you and, and share my lesson that I've titled, I Believe. I told Mary, uh, every other title that I came up with was so cumbersome that I just kind of shorten it down to I Believe. I did that because, um, this is provoked a little bit by the Apostles' Creed. For me, one of the most essential or important aspects of worship is standing together with the people of God and reciting the creed. Uh, I know I'm a little odd on that. You know, if I went around and asked, no. okay, okay, well, there's a few others. It's it's rare. But, you know, most people, you say, what what's really important to you about worship? And, and a lot of people will say music and, you know, various kinds of music. A lot of people will mentioned that the sermon is important and, you know, everybody has their thing. But for me to stand up with this group of people and say, this is who we are, this is whose we are, this is why we're here, is really important. But what I've discovered over the years is that, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not partial particularly to the Apostles' Creed, but that is the one that we normally say. And what I've discovered over the years is that in the Apostles' Creed, there are what I would call not stumbling blocks, really, you know, not difficulties of faith, but mumbling blocks, you know? You get to a phrase, and, well, for some people, it's right at the very beginning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And people go, "Uh, you know, what do I believe about that? Uh, So they kind of, and go on. Uh, others, my own mother, I can remember when I was a, a young teenager, her mumbling block was born of the Virgin Mary. She said, I just can't buy that. I, you know, I, that really, you know, I just, I can't believe that. She got over it. I got over it quickly. I was like, well, if God can create everything, you know, there can be a virgin birth. No problem with that. Other people, their mumbling block is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, you know, it's like, no, we're good Methodists. Why do we say that? You know, but, you know, it's explained the Holy Catholic Church. We're just affirming our belief in the, in the church universal, uh, that, that we're all part of the same body, even though we worship in little parts of that body. So, you know, I go on and my mumbling block came toward the end of the creed where we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. I went through a phase in my life where I was like, 
you know, going along, affirming my faith, and I got to resurrection of the body, resurrection of the body. Who, whose body? Well, not Jesus. We've already talked about Jesus, who was, you know, died, was buried, and was raised. And we've talked about, is, are we talking about our bodies? I don't know about that. And so for a long time, that was a mumbling block. I can even remember uh, in in classes, particularly when we were studying 1 Corinthians, um, well, let's read that. Get to 1 Corinthians and in chapter 15, what does it say? Starting in verse 50, Paul is writing to the Corinthians who had some questions about resurrection. And Paul says to them, what, am I, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and the mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And I can remember when we used to have classes right down around the old library, you know, those kind of pie-shaped rooms, I can remember sitting in that class and, and one of the class participants looking up at me when we had read that passage and say, well, that sure sounds like we have some sort of physical body, doesn't it? And I said, it sure does. And thinking to myself the whole time, am I crazy? It, you know, how dare I say something like that? And yet, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. But somehow... I never really got that. And I don't know if I am just slow or obtuse or what, because I've studied the scripture. I've studied a lot of Paul, and Paul makes a lot of references to our own resurrection. And, you know, I just didn't get it. Until a few years ago, I participated in a book study um, of this book, Surprised by Hope, by Bishop N.T. Wright. Um Bishop Wright is is the Bishop of Durham in the Church of England and a noted New Testament theologian, um, a wonderful writer. And so I had the opportunity to participate in this book study, and all of a sudden, everything came together for me. And so I said, yes, I do believe in the resurrection of the body. But my my hesitancy to to answer a question or uh, respond to a statement says that sounds like a physical body is I think because I'm very much influenced by the culture we live in. Think about it, you know. And we've had mention of it even this morning. I'll see you in heaven. You know, we have this understanding that at death our souls depart to be with God, to live in the presence of Christ forever. And that's a, you know, that's a good understanding. We're, we're taught, we, we focus on Jesus' promise to the thief on the cross. Remember? The thief says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds, today you'll be with me in paradise. We have lots of talk about laying up our treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures on earth. 
where they can rust or thieves can break in and steal, lay up your treasures in heaven. You know, that's where your focus needs to be because we're going to heaven to be with the Lord. Jesus himself makes a promise to the disciples. In John, he says, in my father's house are many dwelling places, right? I'll go to prepare a place for you and then I'll come and and bring you to myself. And so we focus on all of those things. What we're not told, and since I haven't studied Greek, and I doubt too many of you have, but what we're told, what we're not told, is that that word that is translated in the New Revised Standard Version as dwelling places, in many other places is is translated mansions. In my father's house there are many mansions. But that word describes a temporary dwelling place. It's like the Holiday Inn of Heaven. (laughs) A temporary dwelling place. That is not the end. So I shared with Mary one of the titles that I was thinking about is Life After Life After Death. We talk a lot about life after death and understand that we are going to exist in the presence of, of God rest in in the bosom of Abraham, as as the Old Testament Jews would have us say. But that's not all. That's not the end. That there is a life after life after death. And we've neglected to talk about that very much. And so I want to spend this week and next week talking about it because it it's not only... It not only makes me feel better about saying I believe in the resurrection of the body, but it really impacts the whole mission of the church the whole way we approach things. So we're going to we're going to talk today a little bit about resurrection and then we'll talk next week about how that impacts our understanding of what we should be about. So paradise, I, I you know before we leave that because I do believe and and our beliefs today are very much in line with the beliefs of most of the Jews of Jesus' day, that that the Pharisees and, and those who followed the teachings of the Pharisees also believed that at death you would go to rest in the presence of God. That's why Jesus' promise to the thief was so powerful, because there was an understanding that at death you'd go to be in the presence of God. The people of God would rest in the presence of God. But do you hear what Jesus promised to that thief did? It extended the reach of God. It's not only those who've been good and perfect and devout during their life, but God's presence is open and available to all who desire it, who ask. And so he he reached out and said, you can get some bad marks on your side, but through your belief in me, you can be in the presence of God. And so that was a very powerful promise. But the Pharisees, now we know from previous studies that the Sadducees didn't buy into this idea. They said, when you die, you're dead, that's it. But that was a small group of people. But there was a common understanding that at, at death you went to be in paradise, or as I said, they called it very often the bosom of Abraham. But But if we read on just a page from Jesus' promise to the thief on the cross, which was made on Good Friday, today you'll be with me in paradise, we read on and understand that that's not all there is because of the resurrection. Now, now a common belief in Jesus' time among the Jews 
is that there would be a final resurrection at the end times. Remember when Lazarus died and Jesus kind of stalled around and after four days went to Mary and Martha and Bethany and and Martha came out to him and do you remember what he asked her? He said, Martha, do you believe that Lazarus will rise? And she said, oh yes, yes, I believe that on the last day in the resurrection he will rise. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection. He said, things are changing. Yes, your brother will rise, but I'm bringing things forward a little bit here. I am the resurrection. Things are going to be all different. And we saw not long after the raising of Lazarus, which, as you as you know, all the gospel, or particularly John, refers to the raising of Lazarus. Other incidences where people are brought back from the dead are not referred to as resurrection, but a raising, a restoration of their life. They haven't yet put on the imperishable body that we read about in 1 Corinthians. But a few days after Lazarus is raised, Jesus too is killed, is crucified. But then Jesus is resurrected, and that changed everything. There was a common belief that on the last day, all the people of God would be resurrected. But Jesus' resurrection came kind of out of order, out of time, in God's time. God says, we're starting this now. This is the promise of the hope that you have. You have, a, you have a hope that you've been holding on to, that in the end I will make all things right, but I'm starting now. And here is the proof of it is the resurrection of Christ. So the testimony of the Gospels and of Paul is that Jesus was the first fruits. That that because it wasn't at the end time that Jesus came before anyone expected it. And and I would encourage you if you if you develop an interest in this subject, I'd strongly encourage you to read N.T. Wright's book, because in the two weeks that we have, I'm leaving out masses of it. But he spends a lot of time proving the resurrection because of the reaction of the disciples. And and you know from, from experiences we've had talking, you know, just Easter sermons, other teaching that you've done, that the disciples didn't make this up. They weren't expecting it. Remember how they were acting just just days before Jesus went to Jerusalem and and then was arrested and tortured and crucified. You know the disciples the disciples just didn't get it. When Peter first notes his his understanding that Jesus was the promised Messiah and when as soon as Peter says you are the Messiah the son of the living God, Jesus starts you know, in response to that, saying, yes, and now we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tortured. And Peter says, no, 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 that, that can't happen to God's Messiah. But Jesus continued to teach the disciples. And he would say, you know, he'd, he'd bring them in little by little, and he'd say, you know, I'm going to be tortured, or I'm going to be arrested. And then he let them in and, and said, and I will be killed. And the disciples are going, no, 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 
That doesn't happen to God's Messiah. But Jesus continued to teach them. And as it got closer and closer to the time, he said, and I will be killed. And on the third day, I will rise. And the disciples, they're still in that old mindset. They said, what in the world is he talking? What does he mean by this rising? They didn't get it. And so when Jesus was resurrected, it, it was not what they were expecting. They, they didn't get that God was starting this resurrection early. And so Jesus is referred to as the first fruits. Paul, Paul refers to him in that way and says, you know, he's the first fruits from the dead. Now here's an interesting sidebar for you. Did you know that, that the Jews had a festival of first fruits? If you turn to Leviticus chapter 23, and and I won't ask you to dig back there, and if you're reading through the Bible this year, I'm betting this was part that you kind of skim through. I know I skim through Leviticus a lot, but um, this is in chapter 23 where where Moses is telling the people all the festivals that the Lord has has commanded. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving you and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall raise the sheaf before the Lord that you might find acceptance. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall raise it. And we've, you know, if we'd read the whole passage, this is the day after the Sabbath, the first Sabbath, after the Passover. And the first fruits in the barley crop, and this was the first fruits of the barley, because of the different elevations in the Holy Land, there there's some fruit that ripens earlier than all the rest. Some of the barley crop ripens earlier than, than the main harvest. And when those first uh, grains ripen, you cut a sheaf and take it for this offering. So on the first day of the week... After the Passover, at the very moment that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the priests were in the temple waving a sheaf of first fruits in front of the altar. The symbolic picture of Jesus' resurrection. Kind of a, a neat little coincidence. I love those coincidences, don't you? Uh, that, that God early on had said, okay, you need to understand that I do things my way. And, and Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. But it is the, the assurance that we too will be resurrected. Let's read again from 1 Corinthians. And I'm hopping around in here. And that's going to be your homework assignment is to read 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I know we're not to that reading in our read through the Bible in a year. But that's an easy one to stick in there. But let's read, uh, starting in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. 
then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. So Christ is the firstfruits, then everybody else when Christ comes again, when he has destroyed every ruler and power. And you know, we've heard over and over that death is the last enemy to be destroyed. And when Christ returns, death will be restored, destroyed. And the reason I think it's so important that we need to refocus and and kind of reclaim or maybe just talk about more so people like me will get it, um, this doctrine of the resurrection of our bodies is so that we will um, we won't fall into the dangers of thinking that our souls leaving our bodies at death is all there is. The reason I think that's a danger is because, well, first of all, it's real easy to make it all be about me. And I know you've heard, you've been around here long enough. It isn't all about you. Sorry. But if if all I'm focused on is me getting right with God, which is an essential, important thing, you know, I want to be right with God. I want to be reconciled with God. I want to live in the presence of, of God forever. But if we narrow it down to that being all it's about, then I think we're in trouble. Because I think it's about us being part of God's plan, God's intent to restore, to redeem this creation. Remember how the Apostles' Creed starts? I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And remember when we read the creation story, God speaks, creation comes into being, and what does God say? It is good. It is very good. This is God's loved and lovely creation, and God has promised to restore it, to make it all new, to do away with evil, with sin, with death, but to restore this this very good creation. And if all we're focused on is getting away from it, we're not fitting into God's plan. If if we focus only on my own soul, that's a danger. We need to focus on the physical as well, on God's good creation. Because you see, if you push it too far, which people have done, I know during um, the period of slavery in the United States, prior to the Civil War, there were slave owners who kind of push this idea of the salvation of the soul alone to its furthest extreme. It's like, if if I make sure that those people that I own, if if they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, if their souls are saved, it doesn't matter what I do to their bodies. They're going to leave them anyway. And do you hear how twisted that becomes? If we say... Our souls are going to leave our bodies. We're going to go dwell in this other place known as heaven with God. Who cares if we 
pollute the earth. Who cares if we destroy this physical creation? So we're going to leave it anyway. And so if we if we push it to the extreme, we can fall in real danger of not not working within God's plan. And I think too if if we take another approach and say, well, we saw we saw Jesus feeding and healing and caring for people and we know it's the right thing to to help the creation that we need to nurture this good creation that God made i think it can become very discouraging if we think that's all up to us if we don't have some understanding that at some point god is going to break in and make everything right i think it's easy to become discouraged you know pick up pick up the morning paper and look what a great job we've been doing at at restoring relationship at restoring creation not so good we can't do it on our own and we can't do it all ourselves even though we are partnering with god in this so you know we can either we can either turn away from from what god wants us to do or we can decide that it's up to us to do all of it and that can lead to despair but what we know is that our labor is not in vain that what we do for god will be redeemed glorified at Christ's coming at the restoration of of the whole creation and we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week one of one of the most notable things and and as i say i'm going to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 but one of the most notable things is that in this chapter paul is responding to these corinthians who said you know resurrection is it just doesn't happen you know, since the beginning of, since the beginning of time, when people die, they're dead. And, and the Christians were saying, well, yes, that's right, except for once. And Christ was resurrected from the dead, and so we know that we too will be resurrected. And so, you know, to some of the people in Corinth were saying, I don't know if I buy that, or, or there were others that were teaching, well, it's already happened because We've received new life in ourselves, which we have, and so that's all there is. But if, if we, if we stand there, we're kind of conceding that death wins. And that, that, you know, just as long as I'm right with God, that's all that matters. But we're taught as Christians that no, God is going to set everything to right in the end. So let me just end with, with a little brief reading from, from this book, Surprised by Hope. And then we'll pick it up next week to talk about how it should shape who we are and what we do. Bishop Wright says the whole point of what Jesus was doing, and this is during Jesus' life on earth, was that he was doing close up in the present what he was promising long term in the future. What he was promising for that future and doing in that present was not saving souls for a disembodied eternity, but rescuing people from the corruption and decay of the way the world presently is so they could enjoy, already in the present, that renewal of creation, which is God's ultimate purpose, and so that they could thus become colleagues and partners in that larger project. Now, that's an awesome thought, isn't it? Colleagues and partners with God. 
The point of the resurrection, as Paul has been arguing throughout Corinthians, is that the present bodily life is not valueless because it will die. God will raise it to new new life. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for you. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, there is much that we do not understand. We don't always understand the whys and the hows, but what we do understand is that you love us immeasurably and that in Christ you have brought us new life and that in Christ we understand that we have a new and imperishable life given to us, that your kingdom is breaking in now. Help us to live as your children in this world, as your partners in the work of restoration and recreation, that we will go and bear witness in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in us generous friends. Strengthen us to go in the power and spirit of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sally. I I kept sitting there thinking, and her grandchildren are going to be better off than mine were, but... You think I can? Okay. Anyway, Andrew came flying downstairs when he was about 12 to say, Grandma, what's the quick? The quick. Yeah, so I'm sure you're going to help us. Good response there. Well, we've been working through the fruit of the Spirit, so we've done love, joy, peace, patience. We're moving to kindness. Aren't you glad we're out of patience? (laughs) So our Bible verse this week was, Be kind and compassionate to one another. That's Ephesians 4.32. So let's go forward this week, being kind and compassionate to one another.